Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. All right, well, listen, find your sermon outline there in your bulletin. Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2, please. That's where we'll start today in this little topical exposition, 1 Timothy, chapter 2. You'll find that on page 1846 in that book rack Bible there in front of you. Everybody's Bible's open, please. So we begin a brand new preaching series today. We're calling it The Harvest. This series is going to be about our role in partnering with God in His salvation work around the world. Here at Neighborhood Church, we do a lot of presentational evangelism. We do our Christmas, Easter, summer musical outreaches. They're amazing. Every group in our church has outreaches. Our student ministries just had a three-week-long ministry called Fall Classic of outreach with the gospel to students. Classes and communities that you're a part of are excited about leveraging the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cool thing about Neighborhood Church is that there's so many ways to introduce people to Jesus and his saving work, and that's fantastic. But this series actually kind of turns things around to our own personal relationships, it's a reminder to us, and I need this reminder every day, that, that the gospel uh, demands that individuals, we who follow Jesus Christ, are plugged into the heart of God and wanting to reach out to people who are far from God. And so this series, for the next six weeks, we're going to be just looking at this idea of the harvest and, and our specific role, and we're going to cover it in three phases. We're going to look at three aspects of, of the harvest, and these are a sort of agrarian terms that we'll throw out here a little bit on the screen, but, but uh, we're going to look at a cultivate, what it means to cultivate for the gospel. When we talk about cultivate, we're talking about preparing the soil of people's hearts and even our own hearts for the gospel message. And we're going to take three weeks in this six-week series that Pastor Danny and I are going to share in the teaching time. And your small groups, there's over 500 of us in small groups that during the week are going to sort of be turning these themes over. Cultivation is the idea of preparing the heart, the people around us and our own hearts for the gospel message. And then we talk about planting. What does it mean to plant? Uh, what is the role that we have in actually dropping seed of the gospel? How, what are the words we use? What is the framework? What, is the, what does it mean to share our story with people and to get specific about what that looks like? And we're going to take two weeks and talk about the planting phase, and then we're going to wrap the series up with one week on the idea of reaping. What does it mean to reap? It's inviting people to take that step, to ask them, to invite people, to uh, appeal to the heart of individuals, to say, are you ready to give your life to Jesus. And all of this, a couple of things, a little rationale. Why are we doing this series? If you're taking notes there just on your outline, just up in the top in the introduction, why this series? Because people matter to God. Say that with me. People matter to God. Lost people matter to God. God's concerned about your neighbor that doesn't know him. God's concerned about people in your uh, your workplace that don't know him. And God wants us to be his witnesses. God desires us to partner with him in this amazing work. And by the way, if you look through the Gospels, all the way through the Gospels, every single Gospel, we have Jesus telling his disciples that we need to get out. Matthew 28, he says, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to follow all of my commands. That was in Matthew's Gospel, 28. And then in Mark's Gospel, 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news. 
We're to go everywhere with the gospel. In Luke's account of this, Jesus says that the, the, the repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So in the place where the disciples were and on out from there, in John's gospel, he records it this way, Jesus saying, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, John 20, 21. And then we come to the book of Acts, Acts 1, 8, familiar verse, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so lost people matter to God. It was on the heart of Jesus. It was the last words that Jesus said to his disciples. And frankly, it's usually the last thing on our minds as Christians is that it's the first thing in God's heart for lost people. Now, there's an important clarifier that we got to get down because I hear this sometimes from Christians and people that are, you know, looking at the church, thinking that somehow we save people, Christians save people, we just do it just right. We No, we don't save anybody. Listen, write this down. Only God saves. It is the work of God. God is the one who saves people. God is the one who brings people to the place where they need and recognize a relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the way, the great thing about this series right out of the chute is it should cause all of us, everyone sitting here this morning, to simply ask a simple question, am I saved? I mean, I'm either saved or I'm not. I'm either in or I'm out. There's no in-between. There's no, uh, you know, uh, uh, situation where we're sort of in the kingdom and sort of out of the kingdom. The Bible says we either belong to Christ, we are either in the beloved or we're not. And the way that happens is through God's sovereign electing work in bringing lost people to Christ and yet he invites you and me, his followers, into that process. So we're going to take the next three weeks, today and the next two Sundays, to talk about what it means to cultivate and and Pastor Danny and I are going to flip-flop every week. He'll be in next week, I'll be in the week after. All three of our Sunday services, both morning and evening, will all match up with whoever is preaching that Sunday and this is going to be great. So with that in mind, it's time to get started. What I want to show you this morning is the, uh, the connection between prayer and the harvest. I want to talk about the importance of prayer in the issue of cultivating for the gospel. Uh, sometimes we forget that one of the most strategic things we can do in being a witness for Christ and giving the gospel to others is to begin with the principle of prayer. And I, and I know for me this is a reminder and I'm going to give you some really practical things today. And as I survey scripture, and by the way, this, I, I wish I could find just one text that answers everything that we need to talk about in the area of prayer and its connection with the harvest today. I couldn't find just one text, so today's a topical exposition. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit, but check the exegesis. It's all focused on a relationship with Christ and its connection to how prayer enters into that. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you four reasons why prayer serves as a great strategy for evangelism, especially in the cultivating stage. And by the way, it's all the way through every stage, in planting and in reaping as well. But let me just talk about prayer and the idea of cultivation this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, 1 Timothy 2 is going to show us that prayer is strategic because it aligns our hearts to the heart of God. It's an issue of alignment. Prayer aligns our hearts to the heart of God. 
Now, I said a moment ago that lost people matter to God. Lost people are important to God. And here in Paul's letter to Timothy, we get a sense of this as Paul instructs Timothy to pray for everyone with a certain reality in mind. Follow along as I begin there in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now look at verse 3. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Right here in 1 Timothy 2 we find a connection between praying for everyone and God's heart for lost people. He wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul's simply pointing out the rationale for why everyone should be prayed for. Everyone should be prayed for because God desires everyone to hear the gospel. God desires in his heart that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And Paul is actually waxing on this point, if you look further up in this letter, just up to chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. There's a little perspective, isn't it? I mean, do you look around at people that are lost and go, look at all those lost sinners, as if we were somehow better than other people? That's sometimes the message that comes across. We are known as judges in our culture. But Paul said, God came into the world through Christ to save lost sinners, of whom I am the worst. Wouldn't it be great if our culture sensed that believers in Christ saw themselves as the greatest offenders to God? That were saved by his grace and his mercy. But look verse 16. But for this very reason I was shown mercy. So that in me the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. As an example for those who would believe on him. And receive eternal life. Wow. So I think the context here is really clear. Paul wants everyone to be prayed for. Because God wants everyone to come to the knowledge of truth. God wants everyone to have a knowledge of the truth. Now. We know that the Bible teaches this in many other places. We know that this is God's sovereign work. And I'm a Calvinist in terms of a theological framework. I believe that man does nothing to bring salvation. I don't, you know, position God or move God into any. God's act of saving someone is an act of his sovereign grace on, on unworthy sinners, undeserving sinners. And if we come to Christ, it is by his grace and mercy alone that he has opened our eyes and awakened us and given us eternal life. Amen? And yet, it's amazing that as I read through scriptures, I love that the Holy Spirit uses words like all here in 1 Timothy 2.2 to describe God's heart for who should be saved. Or over in the book of Peter, 2 Peter 3.9, we read these words, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So as I read verses like that, I say to myself, well, if salvation is God's sovereign work of grace in someone's life and that we can't add anything to it, we can't do anything, and yet God says, I want everyone, what does this mean? Does it mean that everyone will be saved? No, the Bible tells us that not everyone will be saved. 
Not every person will be saved. There are some that follow a grid of universalism, that in the end, everyone's going to be saved. doesn't matter what you believe, God's going to put it all together. That's not biblical, that's not Christian doctrine. We know that not everyone will be saved. So here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I see we see a little window into how this saving work begins. It begins, watch this, through requests, prayers, intercessions with thanksgiving to be made on behalf of everyone. And that's what we need to be about. Now, if you're taking notes, this is really practical. It's practical that we align our hearts with God's heart for people. Why? A couple things here. Number one, big reason. We need this alignment because people can be difficult. Write that down. (laughs) Right? Now, Paul may have pointed this out to pray for those in authority. He starts with, you know, kings and all those in authority. Why? Because Sometimes those in authority can be really difficult people. And, and sometimes when people are in authority are, are difficult people, they make it difficult for everybody. And this was certainly true for those living in, in the Greco-Roman world in which Paul was writing to here in, in, uh, to Timothy. Now if it was, it was true for Paul's day, I think it, we could agree that it's true for our day too. I mean there's not a day that goes by that I don't get... I call it spam email that comes into my email with vitriolic statements about our current administration. I mean, people that just rail on our president and all of our leaders. Now, I I think I want to address this for a couple of reasons this morning. Number one, when I get emails like that, my first thought isn't, wow, I bet this person has spent lots of time praying for the president or for the political leader that they're just railing against right now. I, I don't sense that in the tone of the email. I don't sense that there's been a, a God, would you, would you bring this person to salvation? You know, what we ought to be about as Christ's church is not so much about political policy, but about where is the life of God breaking through in people's lives that need the gospel. That's what we need to be about. I just want a, a little simple reminder here this morning. I know someone who's not in this church anymore because they got sick and tired of hearing political statements about whatever you know whatever political persuasion the person was but that was the heartbeat of what they kept getting every time they came to church and they said I'm done with that I'm out of this church that was really sad to hear in my heart I don't know what relationships they have I don't know what context those were in and I've learned that when people feel kind of frustrated with that you know you just kind of let God work in their hearts and I'm praying for that individual but can I just as a pastoral moment here can I just remind us that what we need to be about on Sundays and every time we gather is not harping on political issues as much as we should pray for if we're going to bring something up we should be praying for our leaders we should be praying for people to come to Christ and, and that's not to say we can't engage in the political process. As salt and light and as individuals, get out there and do that as much as you would like. But remember, the gospel work is not about politicalizing. God is not Republican. God is not Democrat. God is, he stands far and away against all these things and sometimes opposed to even the policies of those things. But nothing changes in policy until a person's heart changes. And that's what the church needs to be about. And sometimes we just, you know, we can't, um, we can't have impact if we're not praying for individuals. And so this is, this is a, such an important point that I hope, I hope we can see. The alignment is important because, because people can be difficult. And by the way, uh, let's get off the political thing for just a minute. 
Some of you just said amen. Okay, good. Um, neighbors can be difficult. Anybody want to say amen to that? Uh, uh, employers can be difficult. Customers can be difficult. Employees can be difficult. Church members can be difficult. Pastors can be difficult. And, and if you're sitting here thinking, I can't think of anybody that's difficult in my life, you probably are that person. <laughs> that's just the way it works. We've all got difficult people in our lives. And God says the answer to difficult people is requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for all people. Now, we know our hearts are aligned with God when we're praying for the salvation of, write this down, specific people. Write that down. Specific people. Who's on your list? Now, over in Romans 10, you can flip over there quickly if you, if you can. Just back a few pages to the left. Romans chapter 10. We've got this beautiful statement where Paul writes in verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now, I've heard people argue that we don't need to pray for lost people because we're never commanded in Scripture to do so. I've heard people say that. Well, I disagree because we've already looked at 1 Timothy chapter 2 that says prayer should go out for everybody because God desires all men to be saved. So I think that's a pretty strong command. But here in Romans 10 verse 1, we find that Paul wrestled in prayer with his desire that his fellow Israelites would be saved. In other words, those that could not see or did not see Jesus as Messiah. And Paul's conversion, as recorded in Acts chapter 9, is a reminder of God's sovereign electing grace. Paul did nothing to earn his salvation. He did nothing to win his salvation or to figure it out. God, you know, revealed himself in a rather dramatic way to Paul on that Damascus Road experience. Some of us have had a Damascus Road experience. Others of us have like a Lydia experience, Acts chapter 16. As she just listened to Paul preach there, uh, as uh, Paul was preaching among the people, the Bible says in Acts 16 that Lydia just opened her heart to receive the things spoken by Paul. Some of us have a Lydia experience. Some of us have a Paul experience. But the reality is it's always a supernatural, sovereign work of God's grace in our lives. But Paul is showing us here that we should have a burden for, quote, our people, the people that we have a way to connect with, people that are in our lives. And all of us have this web of connection. We've got people that we work with. We've got people that we live with. We've got people that we socialize with. We go to the gym. We're at the grocery store. We're at the park. We're in school. Wherever we go, there should be people on our list. The first order of business is of the people that are in my world, in my life, who needs Christ? And I should be praying for those people. So we fall them into categories like I pray for the people on Susie's soccer team or I pray for all those people down in marketing or wherever you're working or serving. You kind of got this picture of people that need Jesus and people come to mind. I've sat in a lot of prayer meetings and it's funny, the least common prayer request in prayer meetings usually is the salvation of others. Usually the 
prayer agenda is things like John's upcoming surgery, Frank's cancer, Stacy's diabetes. The list is, is endless and usually they're physical. Nothing wrong with praying for healing. Nothing wrong with praying. In fact, there's a great correlation between praying for people's needs and evangelism. And we'll maybe cycle on that in just a few minutes. So it's okay to pray for those things, but when, when and where and how and who are we praying with and for that need Jesus? And that should be on our list. I've got a list. Do you have a list? That's the first order of business. If you don't have a list, you should be writing down names of people that God's putting a burden on your heart that they might come to Christ. And, and you can't write everybody down. I'm not trying to be ridiculous. But there are people in all of our lives that God's just going to kind of knock on our heart. Yeah, that person that you work with, that guy that's down there, this person you see every day, this people that are around us that we need to connect with. So prayer is strategic because it aligns our hearts with God's heart for lost people. And the reason why that alignment is important is because people are difficult. They're not always easy. And the way we know our hearts align is that we've got specific people in our minds and on our lips daily that we're praying for. And by the way, if that's not happening in your life, guess what? I'm just going to suggest your heart isn't aligned as much as it should be. Because if your heart is aligned with God's heart, there's going to be a burden in your life for people that need Christ. Number two, prayer is strategic not only because it aligns our hearts with God's heart. It's strategic because it, it mobilizes workers. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point, but you can turn to Matthew chapter 9, 35 and through 38, uh, where we'll see this. And this is something we've been over many, many times. But Jesus instructed his followers how to pray, and in some cases, things for which they should pray. And by the way, we pray for lots of things that Jesus never instructed us to pray for. You ever pray for your kids? I pray for our kids, but I'm never instructed in Scripture to pray for my kids. I just do that intrinsically. I do that because I know that's important and, and everybody needs prayer. But I'm not instructed necessarily to pray for my kids. Uh, that's just an example. We're not instructed on every measure of how to pray or who to pray for. But it's interesting to me that here in Matthew 9, where we read, as Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness, when he saw, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I like that Jesus uses the word few. That means not many, more needed. We're outnumbered. That's why there's more workers needed. And knowing this, we should pray fervently, Jesus said, that more workers would get out into the work. Now, the reason why I've suggested in the past, the reason why Jesus does this, I think, is because whatever we pray for, our heart tends to follow. Remember I said a minute ago, when, we, when our hearts are aligned with God, prayer is a great strategy, but it works the other way too. If you'll commit to praying for something, God will use that as an alignment tool in your life too. You can't pray for something fervently without your heart sort of you know, going there. And so Paul, uh, Jesus says, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers. Uh, in other words, he knows that when you're praying for workers, eventually you get the idea, oh, I'm a worker. I guess, God, you're enlisting me. 
It's, I've teased this way before, like when we have a need in our ministry, we challenge our people, hey, pray for more children's workers. And by the way, this is a real need. It's always a real need. But I tell you, would you pray, would everyone just write in your notes, this week I need to pray for more children's workers in our church. And, and I'm just going to be right out front with you. My, my motivation is so that as you pray for that, some of you will get the little knock from the Spirit of God saying, hey, hello, hello, how about you? And someone has rightfully said, maybe you could word Matthew 9.37 when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are you instead of few. Think about that. Prayer is strategic because it mobilizes workers. It also aligns our heart to the heart of God. Number three, prayer is strategic because it lays important groundwork. Important groundwork. There are a couple references to the groundwork of prayer in evangelism that we can't neglect mentioning right here quickly. And as I go through scriptures, I find the first one in Ephesians 6.19 where it tells me that words are essential for evangelism. <laughs> I mean, that's so simple. It goes without saying, it's slightly overlooked matter to most of us that words must be spoken if the gospel is going to be heard. And so Paul prays, let's read this out loud together. Ready? Ephesians 6.19. Paul writes, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I may, will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Wow. Whenever I open my mouth. Wow, I talk about a lot of stuff during the week. Do I really think about, Lord, that when I open my mouth, there might be a winsome, joyous expression of words that describe either my relationship with you, point someone to the gospel, invite someone to know his love. A very popular saying today is, you know, share the gospel every day and if, if necessary, use words. That was actually Thomas Aquinas, 13th century priest. I think those are awesome words, and it's a great point because we know that the gospel is not words only. If there's anything that the church is sometimes guilty of today is that we're, we're, more, we're more mouths than we are hands, and that's a problem. But when it comes to the gospel message, no one's going to get saved because we mowed our neighbor's lawn for 20 years. That's not going to save that person. Eventually that person, if they're going to get saved, has to hear the gospel. I mean, yes, hungry people need food. Lonely people need friendship. Victims need justice. Incarcerated people need visits. And actions can and do speak volumes to people. But don't be misled. Sooner or later, no matter how much help, love, words, or whatever else we give to people, there must be the words of the gospel. When Paul said in Romans 1.16 uh, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, he was talking about the content of the gospel. The content of the gospel. And, uh, and that's important for transforming the listener's heart. So words are essential. Words are important. The groundwork of prayer connects with, God, give me the words today that people need to hear. Secondly, boldness is essential for evangelism. Write that down, boldness. Um, we often don't share words simply because we're timid or afraid. How many, just let's be honest here, how many of you, your personality just feels a little shy? Uh, let's just be honest. And you don't feel real confident just speaking about things. Just raise your hand if you feel comfortable with that right now. Okay. 
you know what? I, I'm in that category. I'm basically a shy person. I am. You say, come on. I am. I, I was incredibly shy as a young kid. Um, in fact, just God has used different things to kind of pull me out of my, my timidity in my life. Um, and, I, and one of the things that happened, my, my youth leaders, when I was a young person coming to Christ and, and having given my life to Christ and wanting to live for Christ, I had youth leaders that, that spoke boldness into my life. I mean, they would say things like, hey, what about those guys that you're in band with? You know, have you ever shared Jesus with those guys? And they would kind of challenge me. In fact, one leader, he gave me the nickname, the Bold Vold. (laughs) I don't think because that's what I was, I think he wanted to incite boldness in me. And you know what? He did. Because I would have conversations with kids on my campus, and I'd just hear his voice, the Bold Vold. I think, got to say something here, because I'm the Bold Vold, (laughs) you know? Well, over the years, God has done that in my life over and over. I still hear that guy's voice sometimes. I think that's the Holy Spirit reminding me that, like 1 Timothy says, that God's not given us a spirit of timidity. God doesn't want us to be timid. He wants us to be bold. Proverbs 28.1 says that the wicked flee when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We should be bold in our faith. Now, there's a difference between boldness and and brashness. I have been brash in my faith. Brash means to be uh, unthoughtful, too quick, too much, aggressive, loud, impetuous, foolhardy. And that pushes people away. I'm sure of that. But boldness means watching for the moment. Listen, if you want to write something down, I, this is, I've written this down in my notes. Boldness is simply seizing the moment to say what needs to be said with words given by the Holy Spirit. Looking for that moment, looking for that opportunity to simply testify. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, 19, he says, pray also for me that I will fearlessly make known the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Fearlessly. And in verse 20, chapter 6, verse, uh, Ephesians six twenty. again Paul writes, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Fearlessly. We need to pray for each other's boldness. Pray, pray for my boldness. You can also pray for my baldness, but that's another situation. <laughs> pray for boldness. We need to be bold in our faith. We need to be outspoken in the right moments to not hold back. And when we sense the Holy Spirit saying, now, 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 be bold. Clarity is also essential for evangelism. Words are essential, boldness is essential, and clarity is essential too. And I like what Paul says in Colossians 4.4. Let's just read that out loud. Ready? Here we go. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So in Ephesians, Paul says, let me do it fearlessly, boldly, and let me use words. And here he says, let it be clear. Now I know we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves, uh, but some of us have never learned a simple way to share the gospel and to do it with clarity. This series is going to help you with that. We're not doing that today. We're not doing it next week. We're going to do it in a few weeks. We're going to talk about what's the simple, clear message that we need to get out. How do we weave that into our story? And we're going to have some fun with that. It's going to be an encouraging time because we need to know how to do that. Clarity is important. And I can think of so many times where um, I've lacked clarity. Like when the gospel comes off sounding like all you need is to go to church. 
Or the gospel comes off as, uh, you know, God loves everybody. It's not the gospel. The gospel has important components to it. It has the component of judgment, God's judgment on sin. It has the component of God's substitutionary work of the cross. It has the component of Christ's alone sufficiency for forgiveness of sins. So there's, there's righteousness and sin and, and uh, judgment and the cross and Jesus and his blood. All those things are really important in the gospel. And we can't always unload it all onto people's lives. But we have to be clear, as clear as we can, when we talk about the gospel in people's lives. Otherwise, people go away from conversations thinking that, well, I guess the gospel is just, I'm a good person, and that's not what it is. Or the gospel is just reaching out to others. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is, is Christ's life in exchange for my life because I'm a sinner. I'm undeserving. God did the work. Jesus came. He provided Everything that we needed and through faith and faith alone, no works, nothing I can do. Just by trusting in what Jesus did and has done and has done for eternity, I can have a personal relationship with God. The gospel has to be presented clearly. And with that, let's move quickly to our last point. Prayer is strategic because it aligns our hearts with God's heart because it mobilizes workers, because it lays important groundwork. And lastly, prayer is strategic because it does what nothing else can. I mean, I think we all forget that prayer accomplishes the supernatural. We don't really necessarily pray for things that we can do for ourselves. I mean, if if your prayer list is only stuff that you could do without God, that's really not prayer. Because prayer is engaging in the supernatural. We need divine intervention. Prayer is God's gift to us for things that are out of our reach. And when it comes to to prayer and the harvest, I see two things that I want you to write down in your notes. Number one, prayer opens doors. Prayer opens doors. And we see this where Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 4. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. We have to pray that God would open a door. We can't open the doors. You can't open the door of someone's heart for Christ. You can't open that door. But prayer can. God alone opens doors. And I love Revelation 3.8 where he says to the church at Philadelphia, Jesus said, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. God alone is the one who opens and shuts doors. And so we need to pray that God would open up doors. What doors need to be opened for the gospel to get through? Doors at home, doors in my neighborhood, doors at work, doors in the community. Lots of doors that only God can open. Are we praying? Praying for an open door among the nations, the false religious systems that are keeping the gospel out of nations where Islam, for example, is just running crazy and rampant. And did you read in the paper this last week about Pakistan, a church that was blown up there? I'm thinking all these dear, beloved Christians, and I'm sure they're praying for a gospel witness among all that carnage. And only God can open doors. And we need to pray that way. God, you're going to open the door. I pray for that with people that I want to share with. I I pray a groundwork of of work. Uh, The war is on the ground of prayer. And then one day a person will actually sometimes open a conversation, ask for prayer, ask for something, and God just opens the door. It's not hard work if we're committed to the work of prayer. 
Because God opens doors. There's a some in our neighborhood. I really don't even know them personally. I don't even know if I know their names. But they live, you know, on a, on a radius, about a mile radius of our house. And it's always on the course of my walk. And, and one day I noticed their house was up for sale. And they've noticed me. They know my dog's name. They don't even know my name. And so they always call out and say hi to Harley when we're walking by. And, and so I've prayed for them a bunch. And Lord, open a door, open a door. One day I noticed their house was for sale. And I didn't see them for almost a month. And one day they happened to be in their driveway. And I go, hey, I noticed your house is for sale. How's it going? And they said, it's amazing. It's, our real estate person said that when we put this house up for sale, it was going to be sold in a week or less. And we haven't had one offer for an entire month. Our house has been for sale. And I thought to myself, okay. I said, well, you know what? This may sound weird. I, I, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God will, will bring a buyer to your house. And, as, and they said, well, Thanks great. And as I walked away, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, now make sure that you make the connection when I answer this prayer that God has something way more in store than the sale of this house. Deal. Thanks, God. Prayed for that. Walked by about three days later. Happened to see him in the driveway. Hey, how's it going? It's amazing. We got three offers this week. They went crazy. So I come over and I go, you know what, as I've been praying, I've been praying that God would reveal to you that he is a God that not just answers our prayer because of things that we need, that God is a God that answers prayer, but most importantly that he reveals his desire to be in our lives in relationship. I said, let's just pray about that right now, right there. <laughs> you know what, they just drew right in. I said, thank you. I came around, I've been looking for them. They're gone. <laughs> you know what? I don't know what that little moment was. I don't know what it's going to mean. But I know that the Spirit of God wanted them to know that he was, he's not just concerned about the sale of their house or a move or whatever's going on in their life. He wants to be in relationship with them. And what God does with that is his own business. Listen, God opens doors in prayer. You know, when you pray for someone, that's a great strategy of evangelism. Someone's sick, I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. I've never had somebody say, yeah, I've got cancer. Don't pray for me. I've never had someone say that. They're always interested. Thank you for praying for me. Now, when I'm praying for I'm saying, God, it would be awesome if you'd heal and there are people in my life I wish you would heal, but it's not always, God, that you would just heal. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Reveal your plan of salvation. Lord, work in their lives. People don't have to know exactly how you're praying for them when you say, I am praying for you every day. It's a beautiful thing. Prayer opens doors. You know what else I've learned in Scripture? Prayer not only opens doors, prayer knocks down walls. Doors have to open from the inside. But sometimes where there is a stronger, more impenetrable obstacle, it must be taken down. And I call these, or the scripture calls these things strongholds or fortresses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said in verse 18 of chapter 6, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests, and this in mind be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Listen, prayer is a part of our weaponry that knocks down walls. People held in the stronghold of addiction, 
of fear, of anger, loneliness, immorality, human trafficking, false religious systems, including atheisms or false uh, atheism or false gospel gospels like easy believism, cheap grace. Prayer can knock down these walls too. We need to, a fresh infusing in our lives to pray the Lord of the harvest. If we're going to be people of the harvest, it starts with prayer. And this week in your groups, you're going to be doing that. You're going to be practicing that. If you haven't got a list of people that you have a burden for to come to Christ, you should have that list. You should have it on you. You should be praying for those people every single day. And watch how God opens doors for words to be spoken for your life to be seen in Christ. Well, that's where we start, and that's a good place to end right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this series. I want this in my own life, Lord. I want, Lord, to be a man that prays first, even before words are spoken, that there would be prayer for the lost. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as your church. We should be all about prayer. Help us, Lord, I pray. In our groups this week, leverage this, make it stronger in our hearts. Give us a desire to learn more. Help us to listen to your spirit and look for those doors that are opening and those walls that are coming down. And we thank you, Lord. And Lord, if you brought someone to this service today that realizes they need a personal relationship with you, Lord, maybe you use this message to bring them to a place where they could come and find you as their Savior and Lord. And if that's you, wherever you are this morning, you can open your heart right now to Jesus and invite him into your life. Confessing that as a sinner, you believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and he wants to come into your life today. Give him your life right now. And as you do that, let's stand together and let's worship the Lord. Let's speak to the Lord. Let's cry out to him, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.